Hi everyone and welcome again to the Training for Life Redeemed podcast. I'm your host Dan. We are working our way through Matthew and we've had a talk, we've listened to Dad's talk in two parts over the last couple of weeks, a talk he gave to his church at MBM. He then did a Q&A session at the end so we're going to now listen to that Q&A session and hopefully it'll answer some of the questions you have and then we will get back into our normal kind of episodes when me and dad are both chatting to each other. But we really, I thought that he, my dad did a great job here and I wanted to make sure that you came on and you got the benefit of listening to this as well because you may not have been live or present for it. So please make sure you uh, listen to this and enjoy the Q&A session. Um, when Jesus was baptised, he uh, John said he didn't need to be baptised. He was sinless. Um, we know for us... We're seen as sinless after we receive the Spirit and are recognized by God as holy, uh, though we're still sinful. Um, was Jesus sinless before the coming of the Holy Spirit at his baptism? Uh, and if so, by what power? Jesus is sinless before his baptism because he was not born in sin. Just like Adam was sinless before he sinned, Jesus is the man without sin because he's not born of a human father. So Jesus, not only has he been born without sin, so he's not in bondage to sin, he's in right relationship with God from the womb. And we also realise that in order, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience without sinning through all the things that he suffered. So you've got a sinless man living in a sinful world. And everything that we cop, he copped without sin. So when he comes to his baptism, he has nothing to repent of. And so other people, you've got to sort of disconnect or connect and disconnect properly the relationship between baptism and repentance. So repentance is about, you know, the Holy Spirit has given me a new mind and heart. I've been born again. I've realized my need of the Savior. I've come to realize the gospel. I understand. I can repent, confess, be forgiven of my sins. I do that. I repent. I believe. God declares me justified. Now, the baptism is the consecration that says, I am committed. I'm ready to meet God. And at that moment, the person who is baptised is baptised into the name. Now that's, when you take a name, you do that, women take the name of their husband at their wedding because she comes under the headship of her husband. So she takes his name. If you're adopted into a family, you take the name of the family that adopted you. So for example, Paul's name, Paulus, he inherits because his grandfather was adopted into the Paulus family and that gave him Roman citizenship. That was, that was a very gracious thing. So we take the name at our baptism and that's when we publicly become a member of God's forever family. And before that can happen, you have to repent of your sin, believe in Jesus, and then we are consecrated, we are washed, we are clean. The world is publicly seeing that we have entered into that relationship. So it's the difference between, I, I call it the difference between shacking up with Jesus and marrying him. Yeah, um, you, can, you can have this private deal with Jesus where I'm a Christian, but until you actually step up and take the name, 
that's all a very private business. Mm. So Jesus' baptism, he wasn't identifying with us in our sin. No. What was he identifying with? He was the head of humanity who is now consecrated, ready for God. And the Spirit coming down was confirmation. This one is the one. Yeah, and this is... You know how you know, I was saying in Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord left the building? Well, he left geographically his people. At the baptism of Jesus, he is consecrated, ready for God to return to his temple. And gee, guess what? He's the temple. That's cool. And crazy to think that we receive that same spirit and God is with us in this world in that way. How life-transforming is it? I, I can still remember where I was sitting when I... When, when I realized that being a temple of the Holy Spirit meant that I was the Holy of Holies, where God's glory dwelt. And the things that I did last night and this morning, I did there. And you go, and yet he's still with me because Jesus already paid it all. Oh, wow, that changes the way I'm going to think and talk forever. Let's go on with a question in light of that. Uh, it's kind of a double-barreled question in light of that. How do we know we have the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Kind of different from having the Holy Spirit. There are times in the Bible where people are filled after they already receive the Spirit. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. So the Holy Spirit does three things that... Um, that we find in the Bible. You cannot repent and believe in Jesus if you're not born again. Uh, that, you, know, you need a new heart, as he says to the, the rich young ruler. Now, people in the Old Testament believed. We have a whole list. and you know, It's by faith you're saved. Abraham believed the Lord gave him, accredited to him as righteous. He was born again. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you'll also find that the Spirit of God comes on people or fills them. And he does that for specific tasks that are temporary. So he came on Saul and then he left. Uh, he came on ba you know, people like Balaam. He's talking through a, a, an unbeliever. Um, Saul was an unbeliever. He comes on Samson and then he leaves Samson and then he comes back. Interestingly, when you get to Acts chapter 2 and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that's the permanent abiding presence of God in me, Two chapters later, when John and Peter are on trial, we read that they were filled with the Holy Spirit as they answered the judge. So what's happening there is that the Holy Spirit is working this work of power at that moment in the people he wants to work through. And being filled with or having the Holy Spirit come on in that sense uh, is you know at this moment the Holy Spirit is actually at work doing something to help us get through the moment. For the rest of the time, we have to understand that when you come to believe in Jesus under the new covenant, God is He. I'm just going by His word. I will be with you each and every day until the end of the age. He is the down payment of my inheritance in glory. A down payment in kind. At the resurrection, I will inherit you know, the new creation, land, the presence of God, visible. Now, I don't get that. I've got to live in the now till then. But then I will have the whole package. In the meantime, I get the first and the best bit. 
I get God with me 24-7. That's my down payment. That's the seal that says, you belong to me. How can you know? You just got to take God at his word. And that's the first step. The second step is you've then got to open your eyes and start to watch and to think. And if you do, you will see God's Holy Spirit at work. Half the time, I think we're asleep. <laughs> you know, we're so busy, distracted by the things of the day, we forget. It is God's Holy Spirit who guides us. God's Holy Spirit who puts the thought in your head. And, I mean, not every thought. Some of our thoughts are really bad. But, you know, he, he has a plan for my life and he navigates me through that. And there are times when, I'm sure if you're a believer in Jesus, you'll know some of those experiences when something happens and you say a word and that word, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, and it has all sorts of effects. And you go, there's the work of God. There's God at work. And somehow that happened through me. Uh, it's not something we control and it's not an emotional high. It's a 24-7 reality that we've got to learn to live with. I remember asking an older Christian when I was a new believer, if I have God living in me, why am I still so hopeless? Why do I still keep doing these stupid things, thinking these thoughts? And, and he said, no, 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 you've, you've got it wrong. Uh, you having the Spirit with you is the reason why you even know that you have those stupid thoughts. That's right. <laughs> and now you get the privilege of carrying on trying to live. That's yeah. right, yeah. And I found that really helpful. Yeah. What he said. He's our coach. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he doesn't take over us, uh, but he allows us to get on board with him. Yeah. 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 Uh, here's one. Um, as we think of referring to Jesus then, uh, is it more accurate to call him the Son of Man instead of the Son of God? Uh, it, what's the most accurate description that we talk, kind of name Jesus as we talk about him as the second person of the Trinity? How should we refer to him? Jesus is all of these things. We don't choose one versus the other. And that's the beauty of it. You, to know Jesus, you're knowing somebody who is intricately complex. On the one hand, he's the creator of the universe, infinite, eternal, unchangeable God. On the other hand, he became a sinless man and operated within the same limitations he expects you and me to handle. Um, there's complexity here. And I, I think one of the things we need to learn as believers in Christ is to love the complexity, to find delight in it. Now, the lazy man, the lazy me, wants to just simplify things into a one line, uh, stick it on a memory verse on the wall, and then not think about it for the rest of the day. Yeah? yeah? We want a Hallmark card so sentiment. That's what you're going to give me when I, on the way home. I get the, the magnet, goes in the fridge, yep. get it all sorted. Yep. Yeah. Jesus is Lord, that'll do. You know. Um, We've got to, when I talk to people about Jesus, I want to hear what question they're asking. Are they asking, is he God? Are they asking, is he man? What are they asking? Are they asking, what does it mean for Jesus to save? I still remember as a young boy riding the train from school into town. We used to go on excursions once a month and some, somebody had painted a big, you know, graffiti, Jesus saves, uh, under, on one of the bridges that we went under. And some other wag had come along and put stamps next to it. And you go, <laughs> you know, 
uh, what do you mean by these words and phrases? And if you want to get to know him, you open God's word and you search and you explore and it, he describes it as going mining, looking for treasure. And the Bible just explodes with these beauties. And that's when our hearts just glow. You know, that moment when you realise that you are the holy of holies and God dwells in you and you just sit there going, oh, my heavens. Um, when you discover that Jesus is the man who is also God on the throne in glory and people of every nation, tribe and language are worshipping him. And then you turn to your neighbour and you go, they're foreigners. <laughs> um, they're going to be sitting at the Lord's table. We're going to share a cup together. And you think of the Jews, you know, with a Roman on this side and you know, a Greek on that side and they're not circumcised and they eat mice and lizards and I'm going to share a cup with these people. And you understand Peter's trauma. But that trauma passes when you get to know who he is. And I think, yeah, I, I, I want to avoid saying Jesus is the Son of God because I think evangelicals are reluctant to say Jesus is God. I, I observe that in the way we answer people's questions. I want to say Jesus is God. Then I'll get on to the other stuff. Yeah. It's very helpful, yeah. Let him, letting him out of the box, that he continues to wow us yeah. in his complexity and intricacy and beauty. Yeah, and I mean, we think of heaven and think, oh, you know, surely, surely we're going to get bored there. But even just <laughs> now thinking of the wonder of Jesus, just more exploring him for eternity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was saying to you earlier, you know, people get off on the David Attenborough videos, you know, where, where he wanders through a paddock somewhere and he'll find some microscopic little bug that, and, and some obscure little flower and you know the one has to live with the other and they only live in a two square kilometre area and if you take one out the whole world is going to die and it, it's all interdependent in such incredible detail and, and he goes oh wow and I'm sitting there going you're a buffhead I mean seriously you think this is an accident um, this is God expressing his character in intricate detail, the God who created some atomic particles created, you know, the galaxies. And this is Jesus. This is Jesus, without whom nothing was made that was made. I've got one more, uh, which is sort of random, but uh, interesting. Uh, would Joseph have been the king of Israel if Rome wasn't had kind of taken over it and shut them down? Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, and the genealogies are there in Luke and Matthew to prove that. And don't you love it? I mean, God's got a wicked sense of humour. Um, inheritance is a very complicated thing. You think of who's next in line to the throne of England, right? And you think of all the, you know, what happens if you take out Charlie and a few others? How do you figure out who's next in line? Um, if you want to go on, on the web and just, you know, who's next in line down to the 20th person, it gets colourful, right? The Jews kept track. The genealogies that everybody thinks boring in the Old Testament, they're there because we're looking for the son of Abraham, the son of the woman, the son of Abraham, the son of David. We're looking for him. We're waiting for him. 
And we want to know that when we get him, we've got the right one. And so, I mean, you know, the, Luke's account is just brilliant. He's writing to a Roman uh, nobleman called Theophilus, and he's got to defend Paul in court before Nero, the mad Caesar. So you, you have that sort of scenario. And this is, I think this is the brief, acts as a bit of a brief for Paul's potential lawyer when he appears before Caesar. So he's explaining, well, you've, you've got to have the evidence, right? You've got to know who Jesus is. Well, let me take you. There was a census, a Roman census. It happened to coincide with the birth of Jesus. And to make sure that the Romans got the right people, everybody had to go back to their hometown, to the land their family inherited, which in David's case was Bethlehem. And there you need... The Roman guy is going to sit there and say, so who's your father and who's your grandfather and who can verify this? I mean, we don't have birth certificates. So you've got to have all the uncles and cousins agree that this is the right family tree and this is where you fit on it. And the Romans are recording all this detail. So if you doubt that Jesus, that Joseph is the rightful king of Israel, go check the census. It's all there. And the Jews have memorised it because they're waiting for him. Well, I hope you had some of your questions answered through that episode. If you wanted to access the notes and stuff for this episode, please head to trainingforliferedeemed.com slash 58. You can grab all the stuff there. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you there. And please make sure you subscribe and come back and join us next week as we get more into our normal kind of episodes, chatting through passages from Matthew. Me and my dad, are gonna, we're going to be chatting through Matthew for the next few weeks. I imagine it might even take a term or two to go through Matthew. So I hope that you stick with us for the long run as we go through Matthew. I think it's a fantastic book. We're going to learn lots as we do this together. So please make sure you join us. Make sure you subscribe. If you haven't subscribed to the email list, make sure you do that as well. And you can then get emails with updates of everything that's happening. But guys, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.